Over the uh, past few weeks, we explored God's heart for mission in the Old Testament. We considered the mission of Jesus as he stated it in the New Testament. And then for the three weeks that followed that, we observed Jesus living out that stated mission with encounters with the woman at the well, and then the paralytic, and then last week we looked at the sinful woman. Now, all of these scriptures have given us a better understanding of what it means to live the mission. And so today we are going to continue our preaching series. We've just got a couple weeks after today, and we'll be wrapping it up, which we've been doing all fall, entitled Living the Mission. And our theme has been, if we're going to live the mission, we must first understand the mission. And I believe uh, we've, we've gotten a, rem- a clear reminder uh, through the scriptures of, what, of what understanding what the mission is. Today, we're going to be considering Jesus' encounter with the lepers outside Samaria in Luke 17, as we continue our attempt to understand the mission that we're called to live out in our own daily lives. Now, most of you know that, that I grew up um, in a poor family. And sometimes when you're poor, uh, you don't have the power to change your circumstances. There's a lot of people living in poverty around the world, and it doesn't matter what they do. They don't have the power to change their circumstances unless someone from the outside comes in and, and does for them what, what no one within their context can do. But sometimes, and more commonly in North American culture, you do have the ability to impact your reality. And sometimes your choices determine your future. And so you can choose to be resentful and angry about your reality, which will likely lead you to choices and actions that perpetuate the poverty cycle that you've been born and raised into. Or, you know, you can dream, you can imagine a different future, you can work for a better future, and when you do that, that leads to choices and actions that often break the poverty cycle, and it it pushes you forward, pushes you out. Well, coming from a poor family of 11 children, for those of you who are guests, yes, you heard that correctly, 11 children that had the opportunity for choice to change the course of their lives. All 11 of us had the opportunity to make choices that would impact the course of our lives. I can see how both of these scenarios have played out even in my own family, of those who just went one way and those who went the other and the consequences of each. Now, most of us are people who have dreams, or who had dreams. Most of us set out in life determined that this is our path, this is our plan, our career, how we see our family life going. We, we determined to go down a certain road and end up in a certain place. We imagined where our life would go as we pursued our dreams, our plans, our, our expectations. Most of us know the reality of the road of life taking us somewhere different than we ever thought we would go. That what we had dreamed about, what we had, you know, thought about and planned for and worked towards ended up being very different than what we thought life would be. And so when imagining your future, 
Most of you never saw things like a bad marriage, abuse, unfaithfulness, divorce. You didn't imagine losing your job at an age when it seems like nobody wants anyone your age anymore. You didn't imagine losing someone you loved, having them pass away, or, or when they did, or how they did. It's not what you expected. You didn't expect mental health issues to impact your family, perhaps the way it has. You didn't anticipate cancer. You didn't anticipate losing your business. You didn't anticipate bankruptcy. You didn't anticipate whatever your health challenges are. The point is, where we set out to go and how we envisioned it would be often turns out different than where we end up. And that's, I would imagine, all of us in this room can say, that's my story to some extent. And so if that happens and when that happens, we're faced with a decision of what to do with this new reality. Do we become consumed in the fact that life has taken us here? Just overwhelmed by it? Can't see past our disappointment, the reality of what happened? Do we become consumed in trying to make sense of it? Asking why? Trying to figure out how did I get here? And more importantly, who can I blame? Because somebody must be responsible for this. So I got to blame somebody. Who is that? Or do we accept the fact that life has taken us down a road we never intended to be on? But perhaps there's something that God can do in us and through us on this road that is life-changing for us and also for those we encounter on the road. My testimony, I have discovered that the greatest changes in me and the greatest contribution that I have been able to make in this world and in my life have been during times when my life seemingly went off the rails and I let God work through me despite my pain and disappointment. Living the mission means being aware that God can use you even when you're on a road you never set out to be on. And I believe our passage today confirms that very truth. So let's, let's read it together this morning. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Let's start by looking at the context this morning. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Already early in Luke, his ministry is in that winding down process. It's going to end in Jerusalem, as we know, with the crucifixion. 
In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we are told that he is resolutely, resolutely setting out for Jerusalem. And we're also told that he has sent messengers ahead of him to Samaria to prepare for his arrival. So he sent them ahead to tell the people that he's coming so that they'll be waiting and ready for him when he gets there. When the messengers arrived, the people of that particular village expressed that they didn't want Jesus to be there. He's not welcome in our village because, you know what? Jesus is a Jew, and he's going to Jerusalem, and you can't have us and have Jerusalem too. So if he's going to be a Jew going to Jerusalem, he's not welcome in Samaria. Just a further indication of how much Samaritans and Jews hated each other. And so when Jesus arrived and met up with his messengers, he's told about the situation, and and he's very much like, okay, you know what? Not a big deal. Detour. We can do this. And so instead, he finds himself traveling outside of the villages. And we're told he's actually on the border area between Galilee and Samaria as he's traveling. Now, it's interesting to note the difference in the response from Jesus. Jesus, there's, we need, you know, plans are changing. And okay, James and John are like, uh, Jesus, would you, uh, would you like us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Uh, no, no, we're good. It's all good. <laughs> we, we won't do that. Luke doesn't tell us specifically where Jesus is in this moment, in this story. But we know that it was off the intended path, and he was passing outside the village on the border area because he wasn't welcome inside the village. Suddenly, ten lepers call out to him. Now, this is a unique opportunity for them. I mean, this is a surprise, right? The messengers didn't go to them and say, okay, lepers, get ready. Jesus is coming. They had no idea this was happening. And when they see what's happening and they hear what's happening... This is a unique opportunity for them. I mean, first of all, Jesus is in Samaria. And we, we, we talked about this a few weeks back with the woman at the well, about how much Jews avoided Samaria, Samaria and, and how much they hated the Samaritans. And here Jesus is a Jew, and he's deliberately passing through there. It, once again, we're reminded of the ministry of Jesus to seek and save the lost, to reach out to the rejected, the ignored, and to, and to break all the spiritual rules. Then secondly, he's outside the village. Normally, he wouldn't be out there. Normally, he would be in the village with the townsfolk, the villagers. But the rejection of the villagers pushed Jesus to the outside. And so what you have here is you have a group of people who have been rejected and are living on the outside. And here again, in symbolism of Jesus' ministry, he can relate to the rejected and the despised and the ignored because he's out there because he too was rejected. Now, the main character in this story is a leper, which seems contradictory because the text says there were 10 of them, which is true. But we will discover that this encounter is greater than the healing of leprosy. It's about the mission of salvation. And since only one leper returns to Jesus in the end to express his gratitude and receive salvation, well, the main character is this one Samaritan leper. Secondly, 
there was an obstacle. Now, the biblical term leprosy is not the same understanding as when we use leprosy in our conversations in our modern day. When we use the word leprosy, we're talking about a very specific disease, Hansen's uh, disease, but leprosy in biblical times covered a multiple number of infectious skin diseases. And because leprosy was contagious, to protect the others in the community, lepers would have to live outside the community. And so it meant that they couldn't work, It meant that they couldn't earn a living to support their families. In fact, it meant that they couldn't even be with their families. They were rejected by society. And so they often lived in groups, in communities, if you would, near the town garbage dumps. People didn't want their garbage in their town, so their garbage dumps were outside of town. And that's where the rejected people went because they were garbage too. The garbage people lived in the garbage areas, and so they were out there. Now, unlike the healthy people, when they formed communities, they weren't saying, okay, listen, we are a Samaritan-only leper colony. Jews, you have to form your own. Gentiles, you're on your own. That's not how it worked with these people. It was their dreadful disease that brought them together. Not what their ethnicity was. They didn't care about that. They shared a common bond. They were all rejected. They were all dying. They all had the same disease. They were all lonely. They were all away from their families. They were all hopeless. They were required to stay a prescribed distance away from those who were healthy. And to cry unclean when healthy people came anywhere near them. There was no cure for leprosy at this time. And so it was a long, painful death process. For the religious leaders of Jesus' time, to heal someone of leprosy was viewed as being as difficult as raising someone from the dead. They were on an equal plane. In fact, the religious leadership believed that the sign that the Messiah had come would be that he would be able to heal people of leprosy. They believed that amongst themselves. And so if someone claimed to be healed of leprosy, They were required to present themselves before the priest so he could confirm their healing. Leprosy was more than a disease. It was a spiritual condition because in these days, spirituality and sickness were linked in the sense that in many people's minds, the reason you got sick is because there was sin in your life. Now, we won't go down that road because we know that that happens in some people's minds even today. Lepers were labeled. They were segregated. They were written off. They had a debilitating, incurable, contagious disease. No one of significance would ever go where they were because they were, frankly, not worth helping. The risk was too great. They weren't worth it. Then as we read the story, we see the resolution. As Jesus was walking a road that he never set out to be on, the ten lepers call out and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have pity on us. Help us, Jesus. You can do it. We know you can. We've heard of you. You can help us. And Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priests. Well, they knew what that meant. The only time a leper was permitted to go to a priest was to verify the healing of leprosy. This was obviously a promise by Jesus that they would be healed from their disease. 
And so taking Jesus at his word, they set off together to find the priest and show themselves to him. Now, what's really important to notice here is that there is no indication of any evidence. In fact, it makes it very clear in the passage that when they set out, they were not healed yet or cleansed yet of the leprosy. They started their journey by faith that Jesus would do what he's promising to do, that he's not some cruel person who would send them on this journey only to disappoint them. And Luke tells us that while As they went, while they were on their journey to find the priest, it was then that they were cleansed of their leprosy. But the story doesn't end there. In fact, in many ways, it really is just the beginning of the story. It's where it really ramps up. Because one of the lepers, as they're walking along, a Samaritan suddenly becomes aware that he and the others have been healed of this disease. It happened just as Jesus had promised. And immediately, he did something that the other nine didn't do. He abandoned his journey to the priest and came back to Jesus. And not only did he come back, but we're told he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and he thanked him profusely for what Jesus had done in his life. And Jesus looked at him and said, "Um, weren't there ten of you? Where are the other nine? Has no one except this foreigner, this Samaritan, come back to thank me? Jesus is not asking a question or a series of questions here. He's actually making a statement. All of them were healed, but the least likely of them led to believe that of the ten, nine were Jews and one was a Samaritan. Of the the ten, the least likely, the Samaritan, the one that was hated and rejected, he's the one that came back to express gratitude. It's so ironic. Jesus is out there because he's rejected by the Samaritans, but then heals one of them. And then it's interesting what happens next. Jesus declares to the healed leper, your faith has made you well. Earlier in the text, we see that they were healed of leprosy. They were cleansed. The word healed or cleansed is, is, is different than the word well here. They're two different thoughts altogether. Cleanse means they were healed of their leprosy. There was a physical healing that took place. The word well means to be delivered from sin. Two very different things. One Samaritan leper not only experienced the physical healing, cleansing of Jesus miraculously that took his leprosy away, But more importantly, he experienced the spiritual healing, salvation in his life. He was brought into relationship with God through Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus as his master. He expressed his belief and trust in him. And in the end, he received the greatest healing of all, salvation. So, there are three observations 
that I'd like to draw from the text in terms of us living the mission that God has called each of us to live as we look at this text. The first is labels. There are many circumstances, there are many people in this life that will attempt to label us, put us in a category. Divorced, separated, single parent, unemployed, widow, cancer patient, stupid, ugly, fat, depressed. And we often participate in the process by allowing our circumstances and by allowing people to define us to label us, to impact our lives, to put us in a category. And so I want to challenge each and every one of us today to stop allowing our circumstances to define us, to to stop allowing our circumstances and others to say who we are and determine what we are worth. People can't do that. You are not who your circumstances say you are. You are not who the hurtful people in this world say you are. You are who God says you are. Period. He created you. He knew you before you were born. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. God says you're special. And not in that special way. In that more special way. God says you're special. God says you have a future. God says you're worth it. God says, I'm absolutely crazy about you. You see, God and God alone gets to define who we are. Not our circumstances, not our pain, not our disappointment, not other people, not even you. Not even you. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. But we also must be careful with how we label others. It's easy to observe the lifestyle of certain people. Watch their behavior. See the circumstances of another person and label and categorize them. It happens so easily. You know, we see people not as people, but That person is an addict, or that person is immoral, or sinful, or broken beyond repair. Well, like us, they too are not who their circumstances say they are. They are not who anyone in this world says they are. They are, as well as us, who God says they are. He's the only one who gets to label people. Period. Because you know what? He created them too. He knew them before they were born too. He has a plan and a purpose for their lives too. And God says, don't you see how special they are? You don't see that they have a future, but they have a future. They're worth it. I'm crazy about them as I am about you. Folks, if we're going to live the mission, first of all, we can't fall into the trap of labels in our own lives, but we also must avoid the trap 
of labeling others. We talked about this last week, and I'm not going to repeat it, but we have to see people like Jesus sees people. Secondly, faith. I believe this passage teaches us a very valuable lesson about faith. The lepers had faith. They took Jesus at his word. They started walking towards the priest without evidence that their leprosy was healed. It was when they were walking by faith that Jesus could be trusted that the healing happened to them. They didn't wait to see before they walked. They literally, literally walked by faith, not by sight. Living the mission will require stepping out in faith in response to what God is asking us to do, even when there is no evidence that what he has promised is taking place. And we see that over and over in the scriptures. It's when the priest's feet touched the water that the waters parted. It's when people acted and did what God asked, then came the result. There is an act of faith. And I'm not talking about going around. I've had friends who have died of cancer who believed that God had already healed them because they misquoted scripture. By the way, Isaiah, by his stripes we are healed, doesn't mean you already are physically healed even though you're not. I'm sorry, but you're taking it out of context. That's not what that means. And people pray that and say that to me all the time. Well, I'm already healed. I'm just waiting for it to be realized. Bad theology. Misinterpretation of Scripture. I'm not talking about walking around with cancer, not doing what is required of you, saying I'm already healed and God's going to take care of me. You know what happens to people like that? I sadly have to bury them. That's what happens. That's not what this is saying. What it's showing us is that living the mission will require stepping out in faith in response to what Jesus is asking us to do, even when there's no evidence of what he's promised even taking place yet. It may mean talking to a family member or a neighbor or a coworker when prompted by the Spirit. That's the key right there. See, a lot of people don't mind talking to all these people about Jesus, but it's not because they were prompted by the Spirit. They're just on automatic. And they're just throwing it at everybody, and most times it bounces off and comes back to you. That's not what I'm talking about. It's about doing that difficult thing. You say, God, I really feel that you want me to speak to that person, but I just... Man, I'm really uncomfortable to do that. And then you know, but you know, but you know that God is asking you by His Spirit to do it, and you do it because you know doing something you feel prompted to do. For some of you, maybe giving. Maybe you have resources. Some of you may have resources that most of us don't have. And you've been blessed that way, and there are moments where you know that there's a thousand people lining up to take your money. But you want to know that that God is leading you to use what he's blessed you with in the way he wants you to do it. And so he lays that on your heart. And I have people come to me all the time. You know, God has impressed on me that I really, I should give this or do this. And you know, well, you know what? If you really feel that God's asking you to do that, as a side note, I will rarely tell you if you feel moved to give to not do it. Then do it. Maybe he's prompting you. The question is, are we willing to step out in faith and say, God, I'm going to do what you're asking. 
what you're asking of me? Are you willing to say, I believe that your promise is true, even though I can't see it yet? If you're saying it, I believe it. Because living the mission will require stepping out in faith in response to what Jesus is asking us to do, even when there's no evidence that what he has promised is actually taking place yet. It's seeing what's not there yet. Thirdly, recalculating. It's clear in Scripture, Jesus had a plan. And his plan, I'm going to go to Samaria on my way to Jerusalem, and I'm going to visit the villages and the towns and the cities of Samaria, and I'm going to minister to the people there, and I'm going to do life-changing work, and I'm going to keep moving until I arrive in Jerusalem where I die on the cross. Jesus had a plan. But the people of Samaria rejected him. Said, no way. You're not coming in. You're not welcome here. And the plan had to change. And as a result, Jesus found himself on a road that he had not set out to be on. Now, the easiest thing Jesus could have said, you know what? I had big plans for these towns and cities. But you know what? You guys don't want me? Fine, I'm out of here. And just go on to Jerusalem. Ignore it. Could have been something good, but opportunities lost. He didn't do it. He made the most of the opportunity he was given. Fine. I can't go into your villages. I'll go outside your villages. If Jesus had not been rejected in the village... He never would have encountered the lepers. you got to see that in the text. That's the only reason he's out where they are is because he was rejected from his plan. Now, i got to tell you, my least favorite part of using a GPS or my Maps app on my phone is when I hear the words recalculating. <laughs> you hear me? And, and because I feel so judged. You know what I'm saying? I mean, the voice may as well be saying, Shannon, you are stupid. You made a mistake again. You got off the intended road again. And now I am going to fix this for you again. Because I am superior to you. It's like being married, really. So to solve the problem, I found, and this is a tip I'll pass on to you. If you don't get anything else out of this, choose the Australian voice. I have found the Australian voice to come across less judgy than the others. Whatever you do, don't choose the British voice. I'm sorry if I offended you. Don't pick that one, right? Have a nice day sounds judgy on that one. Don't do that one. Australian. Folks, life is filled with setbacks and disappointments and losses and failures and rejection that takes us down roads we never set out to be on. And when that happens, we have a choice to make. We can give up. Oh, well. We can get overwhelmed. Oh, this is too much for me. We cannot see any value in 
in what we're doing. Well, that was a waste of time. We can be disappointed. Oh, it's all loss. It's all pointless. My whole life. Or we can ask the Holy Spirit to take whatever our circumstances are, whatever they are, and use them to make an impact, to make the most of an unintended turn, to position us in places that we would normally never be, to do something exceptional for the kingdom. Sometimes the only way that you and I are going to be where God wants us to be to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish is to go places we never set out to go. To experience things we never wanted to experience. Just because something doesn't go as planned doesn't mean that God can't bring good things out of it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back. Folks, living the mission means being aware that God can use you even though you're on a road you never set out to be on. Living the mission will require stepping out in faith in response to what Jesus is asking us to do, even when there's no evidence that what he's promised is taking place or will ever take place. Living the mission means we must not fall into the trap of labeling either ourselves or others. If we live the mission in this way, we'll discover that the greatest changes in us and the greatest contribution that we will make in this world will come through the times when our lives seemingly went off the rails and we let God work through us despite our pain and our disappointment. Would you stand with me this morning? As our worship team leads us today, we're going to spend a few moments before we get to cake. And for those of you who are here this morning and you need prayer, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and to stand here at the front ready to minister to you this morning. But for those of you who don't feel that you need to come forward for prayer this morning, for those of you who feel that, you know, I don't have something specific that I, I need prayer for, but I want to encourage you this morning, in these next few moments before we conclude the service, would you, would you open your hearts, would you open your minds, would you open your life to the Holy Spirit in this place this morning and allow God to take what you've heard in this place and specifically apply it to you and your life and say, God, how, how does this relate to me? Or maybe you already know. And you just open your life and you allow God to speak into your life in that regard, to challenge you, to change you this morning. Carlene, would you lead us? Prayer team, would you come? And we'll pray with you this morning.